Well, it is officially Advent, and that means I can officially say Merry Christmas, which is great. Merry Christmas, church. Yes, and this morning, uh, we're actually going to do something slightly un-Advent, and we're going to talk about what happened just after the story of Christmas, just, just past the birth of Jesus. But before we get into the scriptures for this morning, I want to make sure we're all on the same page and we all are kind of aware of some of the basics of the Christmas story. Now, you may or may not know some of this, um, but uh, Jesus was born fully God and fully human to a virgin called Mary and her husband Joseph in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, uh, the circumstances around the birth of Jesus and around Mary's pregnancy, because of the cultural norms and the religious standards of the time, um, would have made this a very tense situation, would have been very stressful. Most people probably would have assumed that Mary had committed adultery, And in fact, if Joseph hadn't stepped into this situation and stood by her and said, yes, we, uh, you know, I believe her, she probably would have been stoned to death. So her family, the the community ostracized them, isolated them. And there's even some scholarly thought that the reason why Jesus had to be born in a manger was because Joseph's extended family who should have taken them in didn't. So it was a stressful time. It was difficult for them. There was probably a lot of heartache and fear and even doubt. But even in the kind of bigger picture of the story of the time, there was also a lot of fear and stress and tension. The nation was under a foreign rule, a foreign oppression. Rome had been occupying Israel and that region for a very long time. So there was a lot of political unrest. There was violence. There were significant economic issues and burdens. But into the midst of all of that, all of that hard stuff, Jesus is born. And then 41 days after he's born, according to Jewish custom and laws and and tradition, this new little family would have gone to the temple so that Mary could make a sacrifice and be considered ritually pure again. So that's exactly what they did. They go to the temple, and when they get there, they meet two individuals, a man called Simeon and a woman called Anna. Now, Simeon and Anna had been waiting for this moment. They'd been waiting for the Messiah to come, this great redeemer, the savior of the world who was supposed to show up somewhere. But they were both waiting. Simeon has a great little bit of his story too, but I want to focus on Anna this morning. So we find her story in Luke 2. It'll come up on the screen for you guys, or feel free to use the Bibles dotted around as well. But it says, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, everything we know about Anna, about this prophet Anna, we find in those three sentences. 
In fact, I even tried to do research on her for this sermon, and I found painfully little. I basically just found more summaries of those three sentences. So her entire life, her entire story is summed up by the way she waited for the Lord. Her whole life she spent waiting and hoping and hoping and waiting and waiting and hoping. The biblical principle and understanding of hope is intrinsically tied to waiting. In fact, the Hebrew words that we translate as to hope can also mean, and we do translate them also, as to wait. There's even this one Hebrew word, kavah. It's so beautiful because it means to hope or or wait, but it gives this imagery of a, a, a rope or a cord that's being really tightly pulled in each direction, so tightly that you know it's going to snap. And so biblical hope is that picture that you, there's a certainty it's going to snap, but there's that tension you feel before it does. That is biblical hope. And that certainty, that trust, can only be put in a person. See, biblical hope is not optimism. It's not having a, a glass half full mindset. It isn't, oh yeah, I think some good things are going to happen. It's I know my God. And because I know him, I can trust him. And because I can trust him, I can hope for what he's going to do in my life. That's what biblical hope is. Now, there were a lot of people waiting for this Messiah. It wasn't just Simeon and Anna. There was a whole people group, a whole political faction and, and religious group who were waiting for this great savior of the world to come. But no one expected a baby. So how did Anna recognize him? He, he was a baby. He was a 41-day-old baby doing what 41-day-old babies do, which is basically nothing. There was no glowing face. There were no visible angels blowing trumpets or, or neon signs behind him saying, this is it, this is it. No, she, she recognized him because she knew him. She'd spent all those years, all those decades, worshiping and praying and fasting, never leaving the dwelling place of God. She knew the Lord. She knew what he sounded like. She knew what he felt like. She knew his heart and his message. So when baby Jesus came into the temple that day, she knew who he was. Now, many of you will know my story of waiting, uh, specifically how I ended up here in that journey, despite being born very far away. I've shared bits of it from the front before, but the short story is that 12 years ago, God called me to this nation. And I'm not going to lie to you, I did not want to come. But I came because I had to obey. So I came as an act of obedience um, and kind of to just get God to stop talking about it. That's why I came. But I did come. I, I chose to obey, and, and I came. And I was here just a few months, but I fell in love with it. I fell in love with this country, and my heart broke for it because I could see what God wanted to do here. And I could see what he was building and how I could be a part of it. And so when I left, I said, okay, 
you were right, I was wrong. I'm in Jesus, let's do this. And so I gave my yes to him. And I assumed that, okay, now I've given my yes. So then I'll get my visa, which I need a visa to be in this country. Okay, great. And then revival's gonna break out. Easy peasy, let's go, right? That's what I assumed. The journey was not that simple. The journey of getting a visa and keeping a visa and all, it's so much happened. Pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong in those 12 years. But last week, something miraculous happened. And I was granted my ILR, which means I am now a permanent UK resident. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Praise Jesus. Oh, praise Jesus. So good. So I, I can stand here and I can say, because I know that he's faithful. But this moment wasn't guaranteed. I didn't know I was going to get this moment. I just hoped for it. I hoped for 12 years. And I waited 12 years. And for 12 years, I surrendered this piece of my life and my story to the Lord. And over the course of that time, there was a couple verses that, that I really lent on. And one of them is in Proverbs 13, where God says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that always stuck with me because it doesn't say the promise unfulfilled makes your heart sick doesn't say the dream unrealized makes it sick. It says the hope deferred makes the heart sick. The, the hope delayed, the hope that's missing makes our heart sick. We need hope. And you might be here today, and just like me and just like Anna, you have waited a long time. And you might hear my story and think, that's cool. That's nice for you, but I don't think it's going to happen for me. You've waited for this, the breakthrough, the promise, the healing, whatever it might be, and now your heart is sick. It's because you've been missing hope, and you need hope. So I want to share my story, my story of hope, but through the lens of as it happened. Because again, I didn't know this was going to happen. And it's easy for me to say and declare, yes, God is faithful on this side of his faithfulness. It's easy for us to read the Christmas story through the lens of history because we know Jesus came. We know who he was. We know what he did. But Anna didn't know the Messiah was going to walk into the temple that day. She just had hope for it. So I want to go back in time with y'all to June 2011. And I've arrived in Heathrow with no plan, no place to live, no exit ticket, and no clue what I was doing. Which immigration, rightfully so, had an issue with. <laughs> they did not like me. So much so, in fact, that they weren't going to let me in the country. They literally stopped me at the border. And as I watched the supervisor walk from the back to come interview me, 
I prayed and I said, listen, God, this wasn't my idea. This was yours. So if you want me to do this, if this is your calling, if this is your will and your way, that you have to do something here because I can't. And I stepped out in that first little bit of, of expectation and hope and trust. And then we moved to 2012 to 2015 when I was literally living out of a rucksack and I would live three to six months here just sofa surfing and then I'd go back to America for three to six months and then I'd come back here for three to six months, back and forth, back and forth. I was not living the dream. And the promise seemed impossible. But every time I landed at Heathrow, Every time I would walk off the plane, the very first thing I would say is, Jesus, thank you for this nation. And Jesus, thank you for calling me here. And my hope would grow a little bit more every time. And then we go to March 2016 when I thought I had the visa. I thought it had happened. God had done it. And at that time, when you, you got your visa, you had to go to these designated post offices to, to pick up your residency card. So I went to my designated post office, and they didn't know who I was. They had no record of me, because there was a typo on the visa. And so what was supposed to be for two years was only six months. And I remember walking out of that post office, half laughing, half crying, because I'd already had three other visas fall through. And I remember saying, Jesus, I don't know if I can keep hoping. I don't know if I can keep waiting. It hurts to keep putting myself in this space. But the Lord said, Sarah, your inheritance is secure, so keep hoping. And then just a few months later, when I had to leave the country without a visa again, just a verbal promise from some random church called Coastline. And I remember I left everything I owned in the hallway of number 10, our missional community house, as a, a prophetic act of hope that I was going to come back, that God was going to do what he said. And even after that first miraculous visa with Coastline, it was not smooth sailing. You kind of hope and expect, oh, I have it, now it's going to be great. It, it, it wasn't. There were a lot of bumps still to come. So now we fast forward to January 2021. And I'm getting ready for bed, and, and I have this, this thought in the back of my head, this, this little niggle that can only be Holy Spirit telling me to check my visa paperwork. Okay, so I check, and I realize that because of the way immigration laws have recently changed, and because of a few things on my visa, I actually have to get in all my new visa paperwork and all the government fees, which is a lot of money, by the following day. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> it was tense. And it was hard. The journey was really hard. And it required a lot of hope. And I had to fight to keep my heart from getting sick. 
But I want you to notice something, that hope looked like something. I wasn't sat in America, you know, saying, oh, woe is me, and and getting angry at God when not one, not two, but three of my American friends got British visas before me. I was, and I wanted to get angry, but I had to process that with the Lord. I had to choose to worship him in the midst of it. Anna wasn't sat in the temple, you know, twiddling her thumbs. She was fasting and praying and worshiping. Mary and Joseph didn't run from the call of God. With every hardship and problem that came their way, they said, yes. Yes, Lord. Again, we give you our yes. Over and over and over again, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, we choose to hope. We actually use that time to actively draw closer to the Lord. See, something happens in these seasons of waiting, these seasons of difficulty, where you get to know God in a way that you can only get to know him in the suffering. You know, when the Messiah was first promised in the Old Testament, it was not a good time. There was violence, there was famine, there was war. Israel was under a a foreign rule that continued for centuries into well into when uh, Jesus, the time period Jesus was born into and lived. Things were really difficult. And a lot of people assumed that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to squash it. He was going to end all suffering and injustice and, and you know, he's going to be like this conquering war hero. But what Anna realized when she saw that baby was that the way the Messiah, the way the Savior of the world comes and squashes suffering is by entering into it. He chooses to partake in our suffering with us. He chooses to come and meet us in the mess of humanity. We actually get to know hope in our suffering. Hope comes in our suffering. Romans 5 actually tells us to glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering leads to hope. You don't need hope when things are good. Hope actually requires there to be hopelessness. You know, I I didn't need hope when I held my residency card in my hand. I didn't need hope when God had already done the thing. I had some thanksgiving. I had some praise. But I didn't need hope when he'd already shown his faithfulness. No, hope comes when we are in despair. Hope comes when everything around us is telling us that that things aren't going to work out, that God isn't going to come through, that he's not good, he's not faithful. 
Hope is seeing that and choosing to say, no, I know my God. I know he's good. I know he's worthy. So I can trust him. I can believe him. I can hope in him. And your life might be hard right now. It might be messy. Maybe your marriage is suffering. Maybe you lost a job or a loved one. Maybe you have a a prodigal child or a health issue. Maybe things are just difficult right now. Maybe you just look at the world and you feel hopeless. The world's a mess. There's a war on, on pretty much every continent right now. There's famine and and so much injustice. And I feel like every time I open the news or, or go on Instagram, I see another thing about some corrupt leader. And you see this racism and misogyny and just these, these tragedies. It is, it is overwhelming how much suffering and sorrow is in the world right now. But the Christmas story teaches us that it is in the midst of that that hope comes. In the midst of the suffering and the pain and the the sickness and death, hope shows up. 2,000 years ago, hope came as a baby. Hope came as the person of Jesus, and he has never left us. Hope comes, and he stays, and he will never leave or forsake you. 2,000 years ago, Hope came, born, surrounded by the mess and smell of farm animals. Hope came, born to ostracized parents, to an all-but-forgotten tribe. Hope came as a pillar of justice to an oppressed people group. And so whatever your situation is today, whatever suffering or heartbreak or pain or trials you are facing... Hope has come, and you have access to hope today regardless of any of that because you have access to Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to be filled up again by hope. 